0: Hi, I'm Linda Calabresi. I'm a GP and the medical editor of Health Ed. Welcome to our unique podcast series now available direct to your device. The series features some of Australia's leading clinical experts talking on topics that are both practical and important to Australian GPs. So I'm gonna talk about lung cancer and what's new in lung cancer. Uh, here are my disclosures uh, and you should take this into consideration as you listen to my talk. Lung cancer accounts for about 10% of all cancers, but in fact 20% of cancer deaths. And so that makes it the leading cause of cancer death in Australia. Each year there are more than 13,000 new cases diagnosed and each year nearly 9,000 people die as a result of lung cancer. The median age at diagnosis is 71. And as a result of the, the pattern of the disease, There's a significant burden from this disease and a significant number of years of life lost. Cigarette smoking is the major factor and fortunately here in Australia we've had good anti-smoking campaigns and that's reduced the burden of smoking and is beginning to reduce the number of lung cancers. It's really important to remember though that up to 15% of lung cancer occurs in lifelong non-smokers. Now what's new in lung cancer? Well there are a number of areas of of information that are new and I'm gonna run through them. They're shown here on the slide. Um, They cover the early diagnosis and decision making, the treatment of early stage disease, the treatment of locally advanced disease, and the treatment of metastatic disease. So let's start by talking about um, early diagnosis and uh, the detection of lung cancer. And probably the biggest new thing Um, that's happened in that area is the recognition that screening, population-based screening for lung cancer does work. Now, you'll see here the titles of two papers. The one on the left, in fact, has been around since 2013, but although uh, it did show that screening worked, it was really not confirmed until another study published earlier this year in 2020 really showed that you can, by conducting lung cancer screening, using low-dose spiral CT reduce mortality. And this is the graph, the mortality graph from that Nelson study, and you can see about a 20% reduction in mortality for those patients undergoing lung cancer screening. In the meantime, Cancer Australia has also been busy at work creating guidelines for the diagnosis and investigation of lung cancer. And I'm showing you on this slide uh, the publication from Cancer Australia from May 2020. It's very small and will be hard to read, but easily available at the Cancer Australia website, canceraustralia.gov.au. And what this does is it provides a, a useful guide to the investigation of symptoms, but even more useful on the back of the page is this flowchart, which identifies a flowchart for investigating patients with suspected lung cancer and indeed with symptoms that could relate to lung cancer. In addition to the actual flowchart, um, down the right-hand side of the page is uh, very useful timeframes or recommended time frames within which uh, investigations should occur. And one of the the real key features here and something that we always need to remember is that it is important to investigate persisting respiratory symptoms even in non-smokers. Remember I said that 15% or so of lung cancer um, can occur in people who have been lifelong non-smokers. Now the other feature in terms of the organisation of lung cancer care and the referral pathways for lung cancer care is the recognition that lung cancer care is very complex and requires a full multidisciplinary team. That includes everyone from the general practitioner who makes the first referral right through respiratory physicians, thoracic surgeons, medical and radiation oncologists, radiologists, nuclear medicine physicians, pathologists, lung cancer nurses, psychologists, and palliative care um, nurses and, and doctors. And it really is a very big team. There is a very clear relationship between the volume, the case volume that a team sees, and outcomes. And units with higher volumes tend to have better survival outcomes. So it is important that when patients have suspected lung cancer, they are referred to specialists that are linked in with a multidisciplinary team. And and I've just highlighted there in the bottom right hand corner an excerpt from that Cancer Australia guideline um, that stresses that the referrals for people with suspected lung cancer have to be to someone that's involved in one of these multidisciplinary teams. Okay, let's move on now and let's talk about early stage non-small cell lung cancer and some of the new things that are happening there. Very important to remember that stage 1, 2 and some stage 3A patients have curable disease. Early lung cancer is a curable disease. Uh, Ideally those that are fit for surgery should receive it and therefore a referral to an experienced thoracic surgeon is important. The things that are new, and this is not new in the sense of the last year, but over the last five to ten years, has been uh, the increasing use of minimally invasive surgery, so so-called keyhole or VATS surgery. Um, increasingly, robotic surgery is being used in some specialised centres. Um, we certainly do that here at Lifehouse and in certain specialised situations um, and that can actually allow us to operate on people who we might otherwise not have been able to so easily do. What is also new is the recognition that for some patients who are not able to have surgery because of pre-existing lung disease, stereotactic radiation therapy, so-called SBRT, stereotactic body radiotherapy or SABER can Cause, can, can be very effective in controlling uh, lung cancer and it provides excellent local control in the order of 80 to 90% of the three years with relatively little acute toxicity. It is worth remembering that surgery remains the gold standard but increasingly those patients who are not fit for surgery or who for whatever reason refuse surgery are candidates for this sort of stereotactic radiotherapeutic approach. And Just to show you some pretty pictures of what this looks like, Um, these are CT scans, which are planning scans and you can see the the area that is going to be irradiated, highlighted in colour. And One of the things that's interesting here is you can see how little normal lung is within the radiation field. This really is a very tight field around the area that needs to be treated and it's one of the reasons we can use it in people with bad lung function. Now, let's move on, and and I'd like to talk now about locally advanced disease, but by way of introduction, um, I just want to introduce the concept of immunotherapy. You may have heard of immunotherapy for cancer. Um, This really refers to the use of monoclonal antibodies administered intravenously, which target some of the um, regulators of the immune system. The regulators that are most commonly targeted in lung cancer are PD-1 or pdl one um, and these regulators down-regulate the immune system, so when we block them with these antibodies, the immune system gets revved up and is able to do its job. There are a number of these drugs now on the market, they're listed on this slide, there's six different ones all on the market in Australia. Not all of them are actually approved for lung cancer, but you can see highlighted in red those that are used. The common ones, Pembrolizumab, also known as Keytruda, Nivolumab, also known as Opdivo, Atezolizumab, uh, also known as T-centric, and or also known as Imfinzi. So these drugs are used in different circumstances in lung cancer, and to begin with, let me talk a little bit about the advances in the treatment of locally um, advanced lung cancer. So this is what we would regard as stage 3B disease in some patients with 3A, and it really defines a group of patients whose cancer has spread from the lung to the mediastinal lymph nodes either on the same side in the case of stage 3A, or on the contralateral side in the case of stage 3B. Traditional treatment for these patients is with concurrent radiation, so about six weeks of radiotherapy with chemotherapy given during that time. The study, which I'm showing you the design of here on this slide, is called the PACIFIC study. Um, this is a study which compared that standard treatment I just outlined to the same standard treatment followed by one year of immunotherapy with Dovalumab or Infinzi. And so um, the goal in this study is to increase the cure of patients because we know that although we don't cure everybody, this is a curative situation. So here is the survival curve from the Pacific study. This is overall survival. And what you can see here is the addition of a year of Dvalumab improves survival. Um, probably easiest to look at the the 36 uh, month time point. So after three years, the, st- the control arm, 43% of patients alive. The Dvalumab arm, 57% of patients alive. So that's actually quite a big difference. And I guess it highlights something that's really important for us to all recognize that the outcomes for lung cancer are changing. So this is not a disease where we give up anymore and should never have been but but certainly isn't now. It's a disease that we can treat, we can help people and increasingly we can cure patients even with locally advanced disease. Let me move on to metastatic disease now and unfortunately the metastatic setting is not a curative setting but there have been big changes in the last five to 10 years in how we approach patients with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. The real starting point for this was the recognition that some patients treated with um, targeted drugs against various um, driver mutations could have dramatic responses. And you can see on this slide, a patient with very, very advanced metastatic disease in the lungs, treated for two weeks only in this case with a drug called gefitinib, which is an inhibitor of the epidermal growth factor receptor. And you can see almost complete resolution of that disease. Now, at the time I took these pictures, in fact, it was unclear why this was happening. So this is back in about 2004. We, of course, now know that increasingly a proportion of patients with lung cancers, and particularly adenocarcinomes of the lung, actually have genetic mutations in the cancer that drive the cancer to grow and to spread. And we have been very successful in developing drugs that target these mutations. So the slide here just shows you the, the recognition of the mutations starting all the way back in the 1980s and going, up until quite recent times, and you can see as as the years have gone by, we've identified more and more mutations that can be targeted and can be used as part of treatment. Um, This is a more up-to-date slide from last year that shows the enormous array of mutations that are now recognised and the equally enormous array of drugs that can be used to target these mutations. Now why does this matter? So this is a survival curve from a study carried out in the United States about five years ago. Um, And what it shows in orange are those patients who have a genetic mutation and who receive the appropriate drug that targets that genetic mutation. In light blue are those patients whose tumors don't actually have a genetic mutation and their survival and in dark blue is the survival for those patients who do have a genetic mutation but were not treated with the appropriate drug that targets the mutation. And you can see that the very best survival occurs when you actually are able to um, match the correct drug to the correct patient. And this has resulted in some quite dramatic changes in how we approach cancer patients. Uh, Lung cancer patients, and in fact, in the outcomes. So, in terms of how we approach them, what it means is that when we diagnose lung cancer, we really do need to wait for the molecular genetic information that tells us whether there is a mutation, and if so, what kind it is. It is not possible to really provide optimal treatment without that information. So, it's important that that. The ball gets rolling early on in terms of getting that information, it's done on the biopsy specimen that's taken from the patient. When you do treat people right, you see graphs like this one. So in each of these, you see a a targeted drug versus um, standard chemotherapy, and chemotherapy for these patients is very nonspecific and you can see dramatically improved survival, in this case progression-free survival, in those patients treated with the correct drug. Now just one of the the features, and and just to show you how this has evolved, that that is in common with these um, situations is that we are developing second and third generations of these drugs. I'm just using the example of EGFR here. You can see in blue the first generation drugs, In green, the second generation. In pink, the third generation. Typically, the third, second and third generation drugs are improved. They have a broader spectrum of activity and they tend to be active against the resistance mutations that occur when you give the first generation drugs. And there are now studies that compare these. This is an example of one of these studies. So this is in people with untreated advanced non-small cell lung cancer with an EGFR mutation, and they're randomised to either get one of the first generation drugs, so a standard of care um, drug, gefitinib, allotinib, or one of the new third generation drugs, osimertinib, and this is the survival the survival curve. And I want to draw your attention to two things on this curve. The first is that the newer drug works better, and that's good. The second thing I'll draw your attention to is that the median survival for those patients treated with these newer drugs is up in the range of three years. Bear in mind that if we go back 10 or 15 years ago, the median survival for all of lung cancer was typically in the order of 12 months, something like that. So this is a, a major improvement. It's still not as good as we would like, these people are not being cured, but it is a major, major improvement. The last um, big topic I want to talk about is immunotherapy again, but now immunotherapy for the treatment of metastatic lung cancer. And this is the design of a study which took patients with advanced lung cancer with very high levels of a protein called PDL1, which is the target for the immunotherapy and randomise them to receive chemotherapy, which is the standard way we've always treated these patients, or to get an immunotherapy drug on its own. The results are shown here, and what you can see is, again, a dramatic improvement in survival. So out at two years, survival goes from 34% up to 51%. And this is in people um, who tend to tolerate this treatment very well. Now, I did stress that these patients in this particular study all had very high levels of PDL1. Only about a third of patients have these very high levels, and so the question comes up how can we deal with patients whose PDL1 levels are lower? The answer is to try and combine immunotherapy with chemotherapy. This is the design of a study that does just that. So now, this is any level of PDL1 and patients either receive chemotherapy or they receive chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. And once again, there's a dramatic improvement in survival and um, two-year survival rates approaching that 50% mark. And you know, again, this is a, a far cry from where we were five to 10 years ago. Of course, with every treatment, there are side effects. And, and one of the things that has become apparent is if you use immunotherapy and if you activate the immune system to help fight against a patient's cancer, you may get side effects, and those side effects tend to be autoimmune side effects, different to the things we're used to seeing with chemotherapy. Um, This is from another study, but I just want to draw your attention to the blue and the red bars, which represent patients treated with immunotherapy. If you look across the bottom of this um, graph, you'll see the sorts of side effects that are occurring. Hypothyroidism, pneumonitis, hyperthyroidism due to thyroiditis, colitis, skin reactions, pancreatitis, adrenal insufficiency, myositis, um, autoimmune hepatitis. So these are all um, features of autoimmune disease induced by immunotherapy. The reason this is important is that Many of these are not side effects that we would normally be thinking about in a cancer patient and when these patients present to you, their general practitioner, um, you may actually not recognise this as a side effect because it's so out of keeping with what we're used to in cancer. So really important to recognise this, be aware that this is a risk and be prepared to refer if needed. Mostly these things are easily treatable with steroids Occasionally, it requires much stronger immune suppression, but typically we are able to manage it. Um, The other thing about the patterns of these immune adverse events is they can occur any time, and you'll see on this slide that the median time to onset um, for most of the side effects is around about the two to three month mark, but if you look at the range, There are clearly patients who develop these immune side effects in the first week or two of treatment, and it can develop as late as a year after the start of treatment. The majority of them resolve fairly quickly over a four or five week time frame. So just to wrap up, I thought I'd show you one thing that that is of interest here, and this is now for advanced metastatic disease, so these are people we can't cure. But I want to show you what's happened over about a 20-year period, maybe 25 years. And and each line here represents a a treatment approach that's kind of been sequential. So supportive care without treatment is really from the early 1990s, and then you progressively have more and more aggressive and more and more um, focused and precise treatment. And you can see the median overall survival just goes up and up and up and up. Um, Similarly, the one-year and the two-year survival. So with that, let me just summarise to say um, we have in the early setting uh, a way that we will be able to screen and look for lung cancer in the future. We have good guidelines that tell us how to diagnose the disease and we know the right people to refer to. In early stage disease, these patients should be having surgery and increasingly that is minimally invasive surgery. We can also use stereotactic radiotherapy in those patients where poor lung function prevents us doing surgery. In locally advanced disease, we can increase the chance of being cured by adding immunotherapy as an adjuvant treatment after chemoradiation. And in metastatic disease whilst we can't cure people we can certainly prolong their survival by using targeted therapies where appropriate and by using immunotherapy where appropriate but we do need to watch out for those novel side effects thank you for joining us we hope you are enjoying this series and will recommend it to your friends and colleagues i'm linda calabresi and on behalf of the team here at health ed I look forward to joining you soon for our next podcast. If you enjoyed this audio segment, you can find out more about our free webcast lectures, which can be accessed from any device on our website at healthed.com.au. The podcasts published on this page are for medical professionals only. The content is not a substitute for medical advice. If you have a health issue, you should seek the advice of a suitable qualified health professional.